The beauty about this harmony is that it's working. And while I have done a lot of work over my career, where I've worked really, really hard to build up my brand and kind of nail my core in all of the places I've been, I really want to nail my core here as a mom and as a wife. And I get to do that, you know, when it's when people have asked, well, what's next for you? I've said this. What's next for me is really, really being who I need to be at home and owning that as a part of my being intentional about where I am in my life and the energy that I have to give. I really, really, really am focused on my family here in Tulsa, my home family, my home life. And so that's that matters more now than ever. What's your internal success story? You know, the deep down beliefs you have about how big your life really can be. Is your internal story a big story? Or is it filled with fear and self-sabotage that keeps you playing small? When you make the decision to play bigger, you're also influencing everyone around you. Playing bigger requires a shift. The shift is what happens when you let go of the self-limiting beliefs that keep you from stepping into your authentic, powerful, beautiful self. It's a shift from the probabilities into the possibilities of your big, amazing life. My favorite conversations are when I get to hear how people shift into playing bigger. This podcast is your invitation to listen to others that have made the shift and also serve as a catalyst to explore the shift needed for you to play bigger. And no, I'm sitting right here cheering you on. Hey there, I'm Tracy Spears, speaker, author, coach, founder of Exceptional Leaders Lab and head cheerleader for anyone wanting to play bigger. Oh my gosh, this week's guest is definitely playing bigger. I can't wait to unpack all of it. Jessica Lowe Betts is a vice president at Schnocky Turnbow Frank. She comes to Schnocky after 15 years of experience in government affairs, communications, marketing, leadership coaching, and diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting. She's an experienced DEI practitioner, communications professional, event planner, and community leader. Before her time at Schnocky, she was the senior diversity and inclusion consultant for One Oak, where she developed and expanded employee resource groups and provided coaching counsel for employees across the organization. Prior to that, Jessica spent more than 10 years at the Tulsa Regional Chamber in various events and communications positions, culminating as vice president of marketing and branding for the Tulsa Regional Tourism, where she managed strategic marketing, social media, media relations, and brand development and a guy named Ray. She brings extensive experience, passion, creativity, strategy, and joy to the people and projects she supports. She plays an integral role on Schnocky's IND consortium team, supports clients in community engagement and public relations work, and serves as a leadership coach. So her education, degree in broadcast journalism from Oklahoma's only HBCU Langston University. She also earned an Institute of Organizational Management certification from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce and Community Involvement currently serves as the inaugural chair of the Board of Directors for Greenwood Rising, following several years as the marketing committee chair for the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre Centennial Commission. She's co-chaired the Association for Women in Communications Newsmaker event in general. Oh my gosh, she has done it all. And I can't wait to talk to you. So come on in, Jessica. Thank you. And welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Tracy. I'm so honored to be here to talk to you at this time. You are so welcome. I What I didn't say in the bio, and I'm just going to say this to you now, so I've known of you and we've met, I would consider us friends now for sure. But in the beginning, I didn't know you until 
I came into the organization that you were just leaving, you were exiting Mm -hmm. an organization. And for, I did a strategic planning and it took an hour, at least an hour for everyone to quit saying if Jessica was still here or when Jessica did this. So it was so fun to hear. And you, and I'm sure you don't get to hear that, right? So you made a decision to, to, you know, take an amazing opportunity on, but your, your presence was missed immediately in that. You knew that though, right? Yeah, I've heard that. And it always, you know, I'll tell you, it strikes me every single time. So, you know, leaving the chamber after having been there was like leaving my family. I feel like I, I'd grown up there and had many different opportunities, not only to learn about, you know, the way businesses work, but also to learn about who I am. And each year I felt like there was more and more to understand about myself as a professional in this community, not being from Tulsa. And so, of course, having, you know, decided to make a transition and work in a corporate America role, you know, that was a big jump. And I, I t- I'll tell you, I was very nervous just not knowing what I was going to experience in that space. But it was an amazing opportunity. Four years of, you know, working for a large corporation headquartered in Tulsa and having really courageous conversations about diversity, equity, and inclusion with a lot of people. I mean, from across, you know, every lived experience, I got a chance to sit down with them and really, you know, nurture them on their DNI journey. And so it was definitely an opportunity I will never forget specifically because I was there during the global pandemic and for two years worked from home in a virtual environment and still trying to have very courageous conversations and we experienced the summer of George Floyd. We experienced all kinds of stuff, you know, movements where people during a pandemic were marching together and getting to know each other and talking about really hard things on patios, you know. And so that's that's a, a four-year experience I will never forget. It grew me up even more. Yeah. And then now in a completely different role, got an amazing opportunity to work for the largest PR firm in the state of Oklahoma, 50 plus years. And it's a culmination of all the things I've ever done in my life, you know, from communications to DNI to PR. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful opportunity. I want to unpack all of that a little bit more because you're hitting, hitting some of the things that definitely qualify as shifts out loud. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you a couple of questions about what you just said. So not originally from Tulsa. So tell, tell us a bit about you, where you're from and give us a little bit of your background. Yes, Tracy, I'm from Dallas, Texas, and I mean the big D. I did not grow up in the suburbs or surrounding areas of Dallas. I was born and raised 10 minutes, you know, north of downtown Dallas. You know, I I was, my family is still there to this day. So oftentimes I'll try to get home or they'll, they'll come to Tulsa. It's a very quick commute, but was raised in a single parent home. My mother is the strongest woman I know. You know, she raised me and my my sister two years younger than I am, and we were, uh, you know, a household of three. You know, she had two daughters. My 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 father passed away very tragically when we were young in a, in a boating accident, and so she had been married to him for only six years, and it was the he was the love of her life, and had a, had an accident one day after work with some coworkers at a lake and did not come back. One, one night. And so she instantly became a single, a single parent after tragedy. I was four at the time and my sister was two. And so with that kind of childhood where you have to really understand what it's like when you have someone there one day and then the very next day they're not, 
left quite an impact on me. I have grown up knowing that life is uncertain. I have grown up knowing that, you know, things can happen in a matter of moments. I am very familiar with grief. I'm very familiar with resilience. Really also very familiar with taking every single day as the gift that it is. And so I was the big sister, you know, after my father passed away and my mother's grieving, I had to, in my mind, try to figure out what do we do from here and where do we go from here? And then what would dad, what would he have liked to see? How would he have liked to see us get through this? And so that's always played big in the back of my mind. You know, how do you turn tragedy really into triumph? How do you honor the memory of someone that you only got to know just for short years? And I'll tell you, Tracy, honestly, and and I've only talked to a few people about this. Even though I was four when he passed, I remember him. I remember very vividly. And, you know, memories of watching the Fraggle Rocks. Okay. I'm dating myself on the couch with him, you know, <laughs> for sure. Uh, back in the eight, I remember Cosby show. I, I remember him moonwalking in his church socks on the kitchen floor, black church socks to be exact. What does imitating. that mean? Church socks. That's like the real slick, fancy, you know, socks. I mean, where they weren't, you know, tennis shoe socks. They were church socks, dress socks. Okay. okay. That's, I love and that. I, I've never I, heard that. I remember him in his church socks moonwalking on the kitchen floor in our old home that, that I grew up in. And so those are things I, I recite to my mom and she's fascinated. Yeah. I remember the color of the telephone in the kitchen. It's green, green, you know, the, the house phone. And there are things I recall and she's like, what? Yeah. Your memory starts pretty young. Yeah. And there's more than we know about kids, but most people don't have that kind of recall. I love that you do. I love that you have those memories of him. And yet mm-hmm. I'm sure that there's, there are also, you know, memories at the moment that he does. Gosh, and I'm sorry, I didn't know this, but at the moment that that happens, from that point forward, you're not four anymore, right? That's right. <laughs> yeah. You so you and you said it beautifully. You said, I'm now thinking about what would dad do in the situation. Ali. So that's a lot for in your mama, I know was young at the time too. And you and your sister. Oh, yeah. Does your sister have memories of your dad? He does. And and his and his felt so left out, you know, because of that. And I've tried to paint the biggest, beautifulest picture. And we've told many stories. My mom tells stories all the time. And, you know, there were things around the house that we still have, things I have even in my house today of his, including this necklace I'm wearing, this pendant here was his. And so there's ways that we've tried to, over the years, even in my adulthood, keep his memory alive, the legacy that he's left. It's why my last name is hyphenated, Lobetz. Low, you know, it's his last name. is my my last name, right? And I got married and added the bets. And so I, I've, I've done very intentionally things to remember him mm-hmm. and to imagine, you know, what would he say? How would he feel? What would he, and, and mom always says, honey, he would be so proud. Well, there is no question. <laughs> he would be proud. I am proud of you and sitting on the sidelines watching. So I can only imagine how he would feel. Did you have a big family unit in Dallas to help support Absolutely. You did. Okay. Yeah. Big family units are very still connected and closely connected to my family. And, you know, big church support from, you know, kids in the church I grew up around school. You know, I remember very fondly elementary school teachers who, of course, thanks to my mom, needed to know things happened at a very early age for me. And she always wanted them to at least be aware of what I might be dealing with emotionally and mentally and even socially in some cases where I would withdraw 
in, in therapy, of course. I, she, that's what I said. She has done so many wonderful things. And I, and as I'm older, Tracy, the things that she did then, they're more profound to me now. Sure. Cause I'm a grown up and I've got children and I'm thinking about what they're experiencing in their lives and how I'm maybe influencing who they are, who they'll be when they leave my home. And so it puts, it's a, it's a big full circle moment happening right now for me, having outlived him. You know, I'm 40. And I can say that as, wow, look at me. I am 40 years old. He passed at 32. I've outlived him, outmarried him, right? have three. T- so it's it's always these moments where I'm just like, oh, my goodness, life is something else. And there's a lot to learn. Yeah. How, how's mom today? Tell me, is she mom still today? Is, she's retired today. She's still home in Dallas. She got a chance to spend time with my niece when she was first born about a couple of years ago. She got to be at home with her during the day while my sister and brother-in-law would work. And so loving being Nana, she's still very active in our church, but she is one want to tell you, and I know this may sound cliche, my best friends. I call her every morning on the way to work. We talk about everything from who's going to be on The View that day <laughs> to what's happening in the news to, oh my gosh, are you all okay? There's there's a tornado in Oklahoma. I mean, we try to cover nice. everything every morning ride, you know, but my dearest, dearest friend nice. is still nice. so beautiful. And, you know, our, our, like I said, I, I just never imagined that I'd be this close to her in friendship. As also, as I am, you know, as as she is my mom, but but we are so 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 close, and she is my anchor and has been all these years. So I love so, hearing that you are living in Dallas and kind of get us through. What was one of the? So that is a huge shift, and thank you for sharing that with us. What are some of the other shifts that kind of come to mind before we talk about the most recent shift? that I'm sure. excited to share with everyone. So where where did you end up? Did you go to school in Dallas? Where did you go to school? Yeah, I went to Lake Highlands High School. It was Highlands. A, but just an independent school district, again, yep. you know, right there in Dallas. But I always had, and, and it's so connected to the purpose and theme of your podcast, this kind of shifting out loud and this being bold and making bold moves. I'd always I'd known that I needed to go to college. Okay. And so you go to high school, you make good grades, you get on the debate team. I've done all these things, you know, just, you know, do well. My mom, she had, she didn't go to college. My dad, he didn't go to college or graduate. And so I felt like, well, I've got to, right. Especially if you think about, you know, oh no, you had all that pressure then. Yeah. Yeah. So I've got to go. And so I'd had an interest though in going specifically to an HBCU because I'd learned about it from one of my math teachers in high school who had gone to Langston and she <laughs> was very proud Langstonite. You walk in her classroom and all you saw orange and blue everywhere, Langston Lions, a lot of, you know, Perry in her room. And I thought, okay, it's not far away from home. This is just, this is a big leap. Even thinking about leaving Dallas, the only place I've ever known, but it's not too far. And I really want to give it a shot. And then I was in a journalism program in high school and they had done a regional conference at Langston University and it was in the broadcast journalism department. And so all of this now just started making sense to me. I wanted to be in broadcast journalism. I love to write. I love to communicate. And it's not far and it's an HBCU. So Langston was the way. And I will tell you, you know, graduated high school in 2001 went fall 2001 to Langston University. Mom rented a, a minivan so she can get me all moved in. And I was so happy until she drove off. Oh, And all I could see, I saw 
the the dirt roads. I there was a goat research, you know, field off, you know, to the side of the housing I was in. And we didn't have cell phones back then. I mean, I, I had a toll-free number I could use to call her. And I felt like, what in the world have I done? Right. Like, what in the world have I done? And I'll tell you, Tracy, I called her every day that first semester to come get me. <laughs> Please. It was a terrible decision. I don't want to do this. Mom, I need to go back to Dallas. I cannot do this. And she said, and this is back to her strength. She said, get through the first semester. And once you get through the first semester and you get through your finals, let's see where you are then. You know, if you want to leave, you want to, you know, say I tried it and didn't work, we'll revisit it then. But I want you to at least finish the first semester. And I said, okay, Tracy, by the time I got home for that winter break, I was ready to go back because I had made friends. I, I had a good time. I loved my teachers. I loved my roommates. And I was like, okay, when is the time to get back to license? <laughs> Well, listen, I think, I mean, most people have that experience and some parents are, I mean, I'm sure your mother wanted you to come home, but yet, you know, to be able to say no, you know, she hung that phone up and cried her eyes out because she wants to get you. I know she did. Yeah. I know, is she okay? Are people being nice to her? That's all the things, you know, does she have a, a strong support system? Is she with the right people? Did she eat yesterday? I mean, it's all the things, right? <laughs> <laughs> So why are you not on TV doing some kind of a news anchor job? I didn't realize how yeah. passionate you are about this broadcast journalism thing. Yeah, well, I did that for two and a half years. And I worked for a very small production TV show called Oklahoma Horizon. So this would have been in about 2006, 7, 8, where I was one of the associate producers for a show called Oklahoma Horizon. It aired every week on Sunday on OETA. And it was about the changing future of Oklahoma. And so we traveled all over the state and went to different technology centers because it was funded a lot through the Oklahoma Department of Career Technology Education. And so we would travel all over the state of Oklahoma, Miami one day, I'd be in Oklahoma City the next, I'd be, you know, just all over the state. And we would uncover stories about, you know, ha things happening in rural Oklahoma or programs that the technology centers offered in specific towns that would support the workforce there. And, you know, did stories on nanotechnology, the science of the itty bitty. And I did, you know, what, 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 what's happening in, you know, rural Oklahoma and how people are, you know, ag, ag business was huge then. And so I, there I was young, black with a camera. And trying to cover these rural Oklahoma stories. <laughs> and Tracy literally, I did it for two years. And after that, I said, okay, let's see. Let's, let's see what's shift. Next. Yeah. Let's shift. Was there any part of you though that, cause I mean, you know, Oprah's, you know, at, the, at that point, you're like, are you thinking that, you know, you want to have your own talk show, which you should have, by the way? I mean, <laughs> what were you thinking in that moment? Like, did, was it like, okay, this is definitely not what I want to do? Did it? send you in a different direction in that way? Or did you think, you know, yeah. I don't know what, what happened? Well, it definitely, you know, affirmed the appetite that I have to tell stories and the appetite that I've always had to connect with people more mm -hmm. deeply. Mm -hmm. And so in doing that, I'm obviously asking questions of people, just researching what it is they're doing and finding very unique ways to make their stories appear on television in ways that capture the audience's attention. I've never lost that. I did get burned out, though, on the traveling every single day in different parts of the state. I was starting my family then also at the time and had my first starter 
And I knew I needed something. And I, I used to even say this, I need something a little less rigorous in terms of the travel and the turnaround times for the news packages. And so when I went to the chamber, I'd actually met the CEO, Mike Neal. At a, I was covering some story in Oklahoma City and got his card. And so I need something a little more, you know, just less, less travel based, more, more, more stable. I thought at that time. And he opened a door for me, an opportunity in government affairs. But what I'm saying that to say the journalism piece has never died. Okay. It's just okay. kind of been integrated in new ways, even in DNI. A lot of the work that I've done has been based on stories and human experiences, the communications and marketing roles, the branding opportunities. It's always been about the people, the places, the brands, the things, but the connections, right? And so I think the skill that was developed at Langston University and then practiced out when I was at Oklahoma Horizon has had very much a strong significance and correlation to the work I've done really in every single role since then. You know, what's so interesting is there's so many courses out there that are connected to story storytelling, and you would be hard to not find a super successful person in any field that did not have that as a muscle or have, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. I mean, when you just said a second ago, that's really what you're doing, telling other people's stories and being connected to them in that way. I I hadn't thought about it in that way until you just said, mm-hmm. oh, it's true. That's super true. Yeah, we have people call us all the time and say, you know, can you help us with our speaking? Or, you know, we have a we have to be in front of a board. And I'm like, no, no, actually, we don't do that. Do you do that? Can I throw that over to you as a lead? <laughs> yes, we do. Okay. All right. I'll, throw, I'll yes. start throwing those over to you. We do. We get those calls and we always yeah. think we should do that. And then we're like, we don't have the the staff that you all have in in and and couldn't or do we know what we're doing in that? But I think that the idea that you, this position you're in now, and I'm not going to, I'm not, I don't want to go there yet, but, you know, to look at all of those things that put you in this path, mm-hmm. I mean, kind of, you kind of, whether you knew it or not, you were, it was leading you all to the job you have now. I didn't know. Yeah. Tracy, that's what I wanted. I hope we got here. I did not know all the way from Oklahoma Horizon. Okay. I, I met CEO of the chamber through that job. Right. But I had no idea. And, and and maybe someone really wise told me this, but I never it didn't it did not resonate. I had no idea that the people I would meet at the very start of my career, the relationships that I would build throughout my career, would be the very things that that brought me to where I am now, in every sense of my life. Okay, not just what I do every day to receive a check, not what I do in the community to really contribute in ways that are meaningful, but every single touch point has in some way manifested into a beautiful moment of connection for me, into a beautiful relationship for me. There's many ways that it's manifested, but I had no idea. And I tell any young person who's asking me to mentor, coach, or they want to learn you know, more about my journey. The thing I always say is, you don't know who's watching you, but you do know someone always is. Mm, true. Isn't that interesting? That's true. And you don't know when or how or where or where that, but the, the, the number of times I've seen people who have recalled interacting with me or seeing me or my name was in something, it blows my, and I'm always the one mouth drop. Oh my God. You know, it, it still shocks me. I don't know if I'll ever get to where I'm like, oh yeah, sure. You, you heard about me and saw, I don't, I hope I never get to where I'm like, yeah, you heard my name. But, but, but listen, I'm, I'm floored. 
You're so memorable. I'm just going to say that like for the people that haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet. I I mean, and I said it the moment I met you, I was like, oh, I need to pay attention here. Like you, you, there's something about you. And I think that makes you in, incredibly effective in those rooms where you're trying to influence. Yet I'm wondering, do you know how powerful you are? I don't. And I, I don't. And you, even when you say it, I'm, I'm like, who? Who's she talking about? I don't. I, I, and I don't know. I, I wonder too about that because I hear it. I, people say it. People will, after a training or any inter- engagement I might have, you know, professionally, they'll come back in an email. Wow, your words are still lingering. And this is, and I am humbly honored. And, I almost feel, and, and so you you may guess, because you and I, like you said, we're, we're friends on the side. I do deal with imposter syndrome. I do question sometimes when people are giving me opportunities for presenting really cool opportunities. I do say, me, are you sure? I've got someone I can recommend. They're like, no, 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 no. You. That's right. And my knees knock. I, my palms sweat every single time. Even for this conversation, I thought, maybe I should jot some ideas down. And right before I got on with you, I said, no, I want to just, I'm just going to present. I'm just going to talk to Tracy. This is my friend. I don't need to be so prepared. But I do struggle often with these comments of, you know, the high regard and the compliments and, and, and and what you said, the lasting impression and the disposition I provide that, that calms people down. I am always just amazed when I hear that. Well, I'll also say this to you that, Imposter syndrome is, is, it's so rampant. Like all of us have it in some way. And yet it serves as fuel, right? So oh. and I, and I'll see if you connect with, for me, it serves as fuel. It keeps me, you know, it keeps me hungry. It keeps me charging. But yet there's this moment for, for all of us when if we don't take that new version of who we are and integrate it, Mm-hmm. We won't be able to go up to the next level of where we need to go. So the reason mm-hmm. I'm even bringing this up to you is to say this, you know, whenever you're doing something you've never done before, you're supposed to have imposter syndrome. That's normal. Oh. Let's normalize oh. that. But you can't stay in imposter syndrome. You have to look at the data and all of the the people that say nice things. And that has to also become part of your story. But we're wired to only listen to the bad stuff. We're wired, right, to discount the good stuff. So if I could offer anything that could help you see who you are and what you mean to our community, I'm going to keep trying to do that because we need you to play bigger. And you took this job that you took. I was like, oh, my gosh, exactly the platform that you need. So do you want to talk about that? How did you know this was the this was the right opportunity when it came along? Did oh, you- goodness. Yeah. Did you like go, what are you talking about? Or did you go, I want that job? Tell tell us how that happened. I'll tell you at first, I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, and I've always, you know, the firm, the firm I'm at now, I've always had high respect for the firm that I work for now. I've known the team there quite some time in very different work capacities and proximity to the work they've been doing. But I will tell you, when I got the phone call about this role, I was absolutely Floored. Again, there, there's that normal progression for Jessica where she's like, what? Me? Who? Huh? And then I was like, whoa, me. Wow. Okay. But the, the biggest struggle for me 
was, is this the right time? Do I leap now? Do I jump now? I had been doing a lot of amazing things for the big corporation I was working for. A lot of things that I felt very passionate about. I felt called to. I felt like, you know, we've, we've got our, we've got, you know, our hands dirty here. We've got some projects they've got to get done and I'm committed. I, you know, but this opportunity came and it's a leadership opportunity. It was one that kind of freed me up a little bit in terms of flexibility, more entrepreneurial and just ways to really do what I do, right? And, and do it well, because I felt that there was an empowering or very much empowering opportunity for me. And so I spent some time, Tracy, I, I said, let's, let's, let's see how this feels for a little bit. Let's vet this a little bit. Let's mull over this, if you will, and see if this is really the time. And there's that mom again. She's coming back in the story. I told her everything and trying to get her to understand even what the opportunity meant was a little bit like, what, what do you be doing? So what it explained all of that. She said, the day that I turned in my resignation, she said, you just got to believe that every door that opens for you is meant for you to walk through. And I paused and she said, let me say it again. You've got to believe that every single door that opens for you is meant for you to walk through. Mm -hmm. I said, Okay, I'm doing this. It's mm. open for me. And it's time for me to get the guts, the courage, the strength to walk through it. Maybe mom needs to be on this podcast or have her own podcast. Let she needs some she needs a talk show. She needs a seat at the views table. Whoopi and all of them need to scoot over. Belinda Roberson Lowe. <laughs> <laughs> Belinda. She, yeah, I love it. I love it. Listen, when you have a, a a parent like that, that is, you know, saying that kind of stuff in your ear, right? Like it means more for sure. Yeah, Cause not all of us. Yeah. Not all of us had that for sure. Yeah. So just, just for the audience. So I want to, you know, schnocky turnbow. And by the way, you don't know this. When I first thought I'm going to go out on my own, I scheduled a meeting with Becky Frank. And I went to her office and in the back of my mind, a part of me was like, I wonder if she would hire me, you know, and, the, and I, I didn't know. I just knew I needed to meet her. I knew I needed to introduce myself because we were, we were just starting to run into each other a little bit. And I left there thinking that would be an amazing opportunity. So, and I didn't pursue it after that for no reason other than just a lot of other things started happening in my business. But when you decided that that was the opportunity for you, and I'm, I'm going to, I don't want to see you're here, so I'm not going to talk like you're not. I would imagine a little bit of freedom after coming mm -hmm. from corporate America had to be important to you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So what what do you do now? So so that everybody knows, what will you, what's a typical day for you? And what is your mission now at, at Schnocky Turnbow? Yeah, now at Schnocky, I have been hired as vice president and I get to do, because this is just amazing work. Public relations is kind of where most of my time is spent on public relations projects where different companies have reached out to us to help them think through a, a myriad of things. You know, it could be, we want 
you know, culture enhancement. And we really need some people to help us with that. We want to strengthen our profile on LinkedIn and we like to use our executive voices to figure out how to do that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a wide range of things. We're considering a capital campaign and we'd love for you to do a feasibility study. And so I'm touching some, all of that, Tracy, and it's fun. Nice. Executive searches, you know, where we're scouting and trying to find the best talent to bring to nonprofit organizations. So that's a large part of what I do. Then also influencing the DEI programs that we offer. And we do monthly consortiums where we have people from, you know, both Oklahoma City, Tulsa, and some of the outlying communities coming to understand diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. And we do really cool topics, allyship, unconscious bias, all kinds of things. And then some of what I do includes executive coaching. And that is so fun. I have always in roles, even, you know, at the chamber and at, you know, at One Oak had been afforded opportunities to have these kind of one-on-one conversations with people where they would be able to express to me some of their goals and, and what they want it to be and how they wanted to implement some of that in the workplace. And I would be a thought partner and coach to them and say, okay, let's, let's name your goals out loud. Let's understand where those opportunities are that you'd like to strengthen. And what are some of the things that you want to know about yourself that you may not even know? So how are we going to use feedback to get some of that information over to you? And then how can I be your partner all along in this journey? Safe space, psychologically safe. And and we'll walk through this together and see if we can look at some outcomes after our engagement. And so I get to do that here. And it is an absolutely amazing, amazing role. Uh, I think the biggest, you know, thing is, okay, you know, keeping up with it all. (laughs) Been there too much. There's a lot to keep up with. Let's talk about that. So you've got three children. You've got, I mean, yeah. I mean, is is it for you like a a beautiful chaos or is it something that you're, what's keeping you up at night? Like, you know, tell Um, me a little bit about that. So now it's a beautiful chaos. It's a beautiful harmony. And I have a household of musicians here. My husband and my kids play music. I sing. So I use that word very intentionally. It's harmony now for me because like I said, it's where I am now is more entrepreneurial. I get to work wherever I need to work. I work the hours I need to work. So if it's in the evening when my kids are asleep, I can... I'm working and it, it's okay. If I need to go to a program at their school or if I need to take them to appointments, I do that and it's on my calendar. If I need to meet with a client offsite, I do that. And so I'm really in charge of my work life, which is cool. I'll tell you, you know, I don't, it's, it's, it's liberating. And so for me, where I am right now in my life, I've been married 17 years to my absolute best friend. Yeah, I know Tracy, I can't even believe it's been 17 years. But He's so Langston. cute. He is so cute. You did well. 15 years. I've got an almost 16-year-old, an almost 12-year-old, and then a three-year-old. So Tracy, you're shaking your head because there's a lot going on in my house. But the beauty about this harmony is that it's working. And while I have done a lot of work over my career, where I've worked really, really hard to build up my brand and kind of nail my core in all of the places I've been. I really want to nail my core here as a mom and as a wife. And I get to do that, you know, when it's when people have asked, well, what's next for you? I've said this. What's next for me is really, really being who I need to be at home and owning that as a part of my being intentional about where I am in my life and the energy that I have to give. I really, really, really am focused on my family here in Tulsa, my home family, my home life. And so that's that matters more now than ever. Do you think that the pandemic allowed us to be a little bit more in touch with how much that matters? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. We had kids here doing homeschool, you know, for a year or two during the pandemic. While I was working, we had, you know, kids on laptops and asking me questions about their schoolwork. And I was like, we got to figure this out. It's not going to be <laughs> productive because I have no idea what you're asking. But I, I think more now than ever, post pandemic, we are owning what it is that we know we want out of life. We are redefining value not just in a paycheck, mm-hmm. not just in a job title. Value comes with making sure that at the end of my day, I felt like I've made an impact. At the end of my day, I've given it my best shot. At the end of the day, I was seen and I was heard. So yeah, I think now after getting through something like a pandemic, I think we are more authentic than ever before. No question. Well, I was raised with a very different set of values from that corporate America provided, which excluded authenticity and, Mm -hmm. you know, work-life harmony, as you're calling it, and all the things. So I'm, I'm super excited to see, especially generationally, how this generation and the younger generations now are demanding that in the workplace. And absolutely. I, I mean, I, when I think about, you know, you going from all of those very structured environments that you were in, you could not go in the middle of the day if you wanted to, to now have that kind of freedom and flex schedule. It just makes me, I'm sure you're thinking, oh my gosh, I should have done this sooner. And, you know, that, I have, the, yeah, yeah. I, I have thought about that. I should have done this sooner. Or, and, or I've, I've thought about this. Why, why, well, why did I feel the need to apologize for going to my my daughter's musical at school. Why was I so apologetic about what I needed to do and be for the people that I love? And I I, re- I think about that now. I'm, I'm like, never again. I, I, I am a mom. I am a wife. I am a professional. I work in the community. I, I, do, I do a lot of things. And I, I, I don't want to apologize for that because I'm better. I'm better for my employer if I feel like I'm whole and, and can no bring question. myself to work. No question. And I think that is, you know, that's going to be the new normal. It is the new normal for some organizations. You and I move about the world, you know, kind of paying attention to those things in a different way, maybe than most. And yet there's two things I typically hear around this. One of them is, well, we never said you couldn't go. But yet the other piece to that is, but I paid the price if I did go, right? Like there there was an, you know, there wasn't a rule or there's not rules in a lot of situations, but there's definitely a shunning that happens when people are choosing family during the day. And I think that's one of the big reasons I think people want to continue to work from home. I had lunch with a client today and her comment was, you know, and, and she works maybe harder than anyone I know, <laughs> and which, you know, I, I mean, it's a lot. And her comment was, you know, I, I can run now and watch my son play baseball or in nobody knows because I'm working till, you know, 10, 11 o'clock, you know, anyway, but she's mm-hmm. talking about how the pandemic and that work from home actually gave her a little bit more balance. But then the mm-hmm. other side of that is, but she's still working until 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We, I think we worked harder. During I did too. I know we did. I know we worked harder because we did not want to fail our businesses. We still needed to be perceived as essential. 
I mean, that that word was thrown out a lot during pandemic essential workers. And so how do I make myself essential? Because there's, you know, we're in a time that, that's really scary. And I think we did. I think we all worked very hard during that time. But I, I, I tell you, I am so committed to kind of, here's, and this may sound, I don't know how this sounds. You'll have to tell me how this sounds. Okay. I've worked hard, Tracy, over when I think back, the nights, the weekends, the breaking out in hives from my anxiety, being super high, the crisis, all of that. I've worked so hard. I feel like now I can finally say your work has paid off. Mm, people know people know you. You don't have to prove yourself anymore. You don't have to do that hamster wheel of work, 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 work. You are a hard worker. And that's something I had to tell myself. And so I, I think now I'm I'm more confident in saying, hey, I've got to go take care of something with my kids. Could you know I'm going to get it done? That's right. That's right. Well, there's a, I remember somebody said to me one time, Tracy, it'll be great when you can get paid for what you know instead of what you do. And I remember when I heard that, I didn't even get it. I was like, yeah, uh, but I now, I do, mm-hmm. both. We, we do a lot of things, but you have a body of knowledge now. Yeah. When you walk into a meeting and someone says, how can we be more inclusive in our organization? You could give a, you know, 20 years of experience answer mm-hmm. in, yeah. eight, in eight minutes. And yeah. that's being paid for what you know. Right. And so I just, I invite you to think about those things because I think mm-hmm. that body of knowledge and that experience that you have, you know, obviously that you can answer that question. I have a lot of clients that, you know, like attorneys or accountants that, you know, like, oh, well, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to bill you for that. It was an easy answer. I'm like, oh my gosh, let's see, you went to law school. You've been uh-huh. practicing for 30 years and it was easy for you to answer that, but charge me my $250 for the answer. That's right. I, you know, I mean, you're not, you know, I'm not paying you for your time. I'm paying you for your knowledge. So when you're in those rooms and somebody asks you that question, what can organizations do to be more inclusive? What are some of the things that come to mind for you? Yeah, where, you know, when people ask me that question, I, I often ask them, well, let's talk, who are you, who are you talking about? And if you are talking about the people who work in your organization, then you certainly need to know what they need. And you certainly need to know who they are and how they perceive, you know, value and, and what they are telling you they need to motivate them. We are in a global workplace environment. I mean, people can go anywhere now and work. And so the competition is up. And so I think inclusion is, you know, have we heard from everyone that we need to hear from? Are, are, do they feel connected to our mission? And if they don't, what are we doing about that? Right. And how are we serving them? Because surely they're serving us, mm. you know, to keep the lights on, to keep the business running, to keep the bottom line positively impacted. And so an inclusion is looking around the room and making sure people know that they have a seat at the table, but not only that seat, but they have a voice. Nice. And I love what you just said. It is. It's not just a nice to have. It's that you better have that in the future mm-hmm. or you're going to continue to lose the workforce mm-hmm. because they are demanding that. Absolutely. And, and then the question is, why didn't we? Mm-hmm. Right. We, yeah. we were the minority, I guess, right? We did. We couldn't. And I don't know. I'm, I'm so hopeful about all of the work that you're doing and, and that, you know, you know, great organizations are doing to try to get this right. Because I do think 
we're not checking ourselves at the door anymore. We're wholly, fully showing up in every room with all of the things that have happened to us. What's what's the next ship for you? So you're you're two months in at Schnaki, and I keep saying Schnaki Turnbow, and it's not Turnbow anymore. It's just Schnaki, isn't Schnocky. it? Yeah, right. Schnaki, yeah, Schnaki. Schnaki. And for, <laughs> for those of you listening that are like, what's a Schnaki? It's S C H N A K E, I believe. Okay. I saw that right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Good. So you're two months in. You're feeling optimistic. You're juggling a bunch of things. What's the next thing that you're excited about? Whether it's personal or professional? What's the next shift? Yeah, I, I per, you know, professional, I, I want to do this job well. Like I said, this door was opened and I, I want to do this job well. I want to thrive in this space. And I know it's going to take, you know, onboarding takes time, you know, and so really kind of getting true to truly understanding the nature of the world, the role in the work, I think it's going to take about a year, you know, yep. but I want to be very, very intentional about being successful here. And like I said before, I really want to know the core as a mom and a wife at home. I'm still very active in the community as the founding board chair of Springwood Rising. I actually get to step back as immediate past chair this month and hand it over to the vice chair. So I, that's freeing me up in a, in, in a little bit of a way where I have a little more capacity. I'll still be on the board, but just not so heavily, you know, working through running the organization. And that's exciting. We have been open for two years and wow, it's been an amazing journey. <laughs> wow. That, and that it is so beautiful and tell the audience there's a lot of people listening from all over the world, as we now know. What is, yeah, yeah tell, tell them a little bit more about that if you want to. Yeah. Greenlit Rising Black Wall Street History Center is the hallmark project of the Tulsa Race Massacre Centennial Commission that was founded by Senator Kevin Matthews. And the main goal that he has had was to educate the world on the history of Tulsa, what happened in 1921. But the beauty about Greenwood Rising, we opened in 2021 during the centennial event. We had a really big opening event. The beauty about Greenwood Rising is that it is not just focused on the tragedy and the trauma of racial violence. It's actually the full story of Black Wall Street, the entrepreneurial vibe of Black Wall Street. It was really called the promised land then because Black people knew that they could come to Tulsa and they could lead a business, that they could be wealthy and they could have a good quality of life. And in some cases, Tracy, I've been thinking about this more recently. The more people I've connected with in the community who are doing great things, more people of color and women, BIPOC folks who have found themselves in Tulsa, I think they're seeing it as a promised land too. I think people are coming and trying new things and trying that business in Tulsa and doing that creative idea and seeing it work here in Tulsa. And so it is, I think, a hundred years later, now becoming more of a promised land of opportunity. But Greenwood Rising is it's beautiful. You can go to greenwoodrising.org and you know get a ticket and come and, and see what it's all about and, and experience the exhibits. It's been some of the best fulfilling work for me. Oh. For sure. And I and listen, w when we have people that come in from out of town, they know about it and want to go. Yes. See. So it's been it's interesting that our community, we live in a community, for those of you that don't live in Tulsa, that is super intentional right now. Mm -hmm. Because and, and you, you know, we could say we don't have to say why or but let's just agree that most of our community is super intentional right now mm -hmm. about learning from, you know, the mistakes that were made from trying to be more conscious and aware of, it, you know, not only the history, but also, I think, and you said it best, the future. What is it that 
you know, we are going to go do. So I love living here in this time. I appreciate mm-hmm. all the work that you do, you know, and, and that that organization is doing. And definitely we're cheering you on. And listen, I, I just want to say thank you for making a little bit of time today to be on this podcast. I, I mean, I love you. I am cheering you on. I have always felt this connection to you. And I don't see that that doing anything but getting better. And however I can support you in this new position, I'm I'm signing up for it. That's what I want, Tracy. Please let you have been and you said I had an impact on you when we first met. You had a great impact on me when you did the strategic training back at the chamber. I know we were at main event and you spent a few hours with us. I don't know if you remember that, but I, I do remember you, that. I came to you afterwards and I said this. Okay. We're having a moment. I remember. I do remember. I I, I grabbed your hand and I appreciated you for being so bold. And I use that word because it was, it was a new, it was a new kind of era at the time when we, you know, we're really kind of bringing DNI closer to the top and, and you you helped facilitate that. And I, I wanted you to know then, just like I'm letting you know now, what you're doing is making a difference. Thank you. And it is relevant and it is needed. It's necessary. I appreciate that you saying that. Thank you. As you know, this is hard work that we're doing and to be that vulnerable and out on that. So it's nice to, it's, it's nice to hear. So I appreciate that. All right, my friend, if people want to find you, how do they find you? Oh, I'm on LinkedIn, Jessica Lobetz. I'm on social media, Facebook, Instagram. I, you also, I'm going to give you my personal email address. It's J low L O W E bets, B E T T S at gmail.com. Reach out to me, inbox me. And if there's anything I can do to help you or put you in place or put you in touch with someone who can help, I certainly will. So thank you so much. You're so welcome. Yeah. If your organization is looking for support on developing their DEI work, check her out. I'll see you again soon. Thanks my friend. Absolutely. Thank you so much. If you're still here, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate, and review, and then tell all your friends. I want to know what inspired you, what your big takeaways were, and I'm curious, what will you go do because of what you heard today? How will you shift out loud? Let's do it again soon.